Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. We would like to apologise for the sound quality of this week's recording. Studio Gremlins, otherwise known as a noisy computer fan, have caused interference on the recording. We do hope it isn't too unbearable. Normal service will be resumed next week. This week's shout-out goes to Aaron and Partners, who's managing Difficult Employees Masterclass. I had the pleasure of attending this week. Aaron and Partners are a business law firm offering advice to companies, partnerships and individuals with offices in Chester, Shrewsbury and Manchester. Visit their website, aaronandpartners.com, for more details and tell them that Heather and Tracy from the business community sent you. You're listening to the business community on Callan FM with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, our topical discussion takes us back to Tracy's um, place of birth, which is Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah, we're getting a, a few of these um, features on Stoke-on-Trent. We did, yeah, we did <laughs> Josiah Wedgwood, Wedgwood we? yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago. It wasn't planned, to be honest. I'm, I'm, we're not planning a move to Stoke-on-Trent anytime soon. No, no, no. Well, you've done that and you came this yeah, way. So uh, came over here. But, but the person we are talking about, and I doubt that it will have escaped your attention um, over the last week or so, um, is the best paid woman in the world who resides in Stoke-on-Trent. Her name is Denise Coates. She is joint chief exec of Bet365, which is one of the largest betting organisations in the world. And they have a turnover of 2.9 billion. They employ 4,300 staff and they have around 35 million customers worldwide. And Ms Coates... Uh, who is only a tiny weeny bit younger than me, so I think I'm a little bit on the back foot, is reported reported to have paid herself £265 million this year. Now, that sounds like an awful lot of money, uh, but I know, Tracy, that you've... I've delved a bit deep, style, deeper. Delved a bit deeper. It still is got? an awful lot of money. It However, yeah. the £265 million that's been quoted is actually made up of a salary and dividends so the salary is 220 million which is still the largest salary to have ever been paid to a female corporate boss and pretty much outflanks a lot of corporate bosses and the dividends is what gets paid out to the shareholders after the profit's been made and that's 45 million pounds so she would have got that 45 million whether or not she was employed in the business that's right yeah, yeah. so the salary is for the employed part of right. her, her so, work with bet 365 so a job that pays 220 million pounds yes so i've done the figures as well okay so last week when we were talking about warren buffett and oh, yeah. how much you'd have to earn per hour to to have his net worth after 77 years i've broken this one down a little bit shorter so i read somewhere that um her pay is around 9500 times more than the average uk salary but that didn't really mean much to me i always like to break it down into how much per hour mm. so i've taken the 220 million pounds and I've, I've divided it into the month. And then I've read somewhere that she's a workaholic. So I'm going to give her um, a 30-day month. Okay. And I'm going to give her an eight-hour day okay. as well. So if she worked every day of the year for eight hours, her hourly rate of pay would be £76,389. 
Okay. So that, that puts it into perspective a lot more than um, the pay as, as to however many times um, the average, because most people don't know what the average UK salary is. But I think when you put it into an hourly rate of pay, you can really see... We can all relate um, to that, can't Yeah, we? the perspective there. Um, and I think what it goes to show is it, it's proof that the bookies always win. <laughs> it's a, a phrase that my nan always used to use. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the story of the Coates family is quite interesting anyway, because they originally her father peter coates uh, set up a chain of bookmakers just high, you know on the street bookmakers where you walk in and you you place your bets and um and denise coates was uh, md of that um in 1995 but in 2000 she registered the name bet 365 um whilst they were operating their business from a porter cabin in a car park of one of their shops uh, and from that she then grew it to the to the scale that it is now and in fact in 2005 um she the provincial racing shops were sold to coral for 40 million pounds uh, so she obviously had seen an opportunity with the with the rise in online betting and and of course globally now so you can bet on anything anywhere in the world so it's not just a case of is you know i remember the days is there racing today <laughs> like, yeah, there's racing somewhere around the world every single day of the year. So a massive, massive business. And there, there's quite a lot of controversy about the way that her money has, has been generated. But she also set up the Bet365 Foundation, which has been subsequently renamed to the Denise Coates Foundation. And they have given away um, over £100 million to Oxfam, Cavod, Macmillan... Um, the typhoon, it's, you know, so they're doing good works in that regard. But what what have you what have you got on? So, um, reading a lot of things, some of the um, phrasing is sort of it's almost hysterical in some of the headlines about this. But in a way, I, I see she's she's earned this money from making an entrepreneurial gamble, really. So yeah, she's she took a gamble, she's gambled yeah. with the family's money. And they've built this business. So, they, you know, she's not part of a public sector organisation. It's not a big PLC. They're taking their risk with their own money, and that's how they've built the business. So from that perspective, I think, well done to them. The only issue I have is then how, when, when people who work for Bet365 see those sorts of numbers, how they square that with their own annual salary. And, and I think that's potentially a PR issue for them with their staff how do you motivate somebody who's perhaps earning 10 pound an hour 20 pound an hour when the person who admittedly works long hours is earning so much more 76,000 pounds an hour it, it doesn't even it, you can't compare it mm. can you so I think for me that's probably the biggest issue a lot of the stuff in the papers in these rather hysterical um headlines were saying uh, you know that it's it's not right and I think the only one that I've really got sympathy for is it's not jealousy in terms of uh, you know they've they've made good money is actually when you juxtaposition those earnings with the rise in um, um gambling addictions yes. yeah. and and you do sometimes question you know is, is it okay to make money from that but I don't know enough about it to comment. But my initial thoughts are, actually, it's quite good. She's made a name for herself. Everybody knows her name. She's been very, very private all the way through her career. 
But now, she, you know, she's gone down in history as, as having this massive pay packet. Um, she's Britain's richest self-made businesswoman. It's very difficult to find stuff out about her. She studied econometrics at Sheffield University, got a first-class degree from there, so obviously she had the strong work ethic right from the start. But she's kept a personal life to herself all the while that she's been um, working at Bet365. But I did, um, I did sort of have a look around to see how her salary compares to other people. So the, a lot was made about her being um, the best-paid woman, Actually, um, there are a lot of men CEOs that are paid nowhere near as much as that. So you could just say, uh, you know, a very well-paid chief exec. Person. Yeah, yeah, person, yeah. not yeah. woman. Yeah. If you look at some of her closest rivals on the FTSE 100, they've got the former leader of EasyJet, Carolyn McCall. She earned $6.2 million. Alison Cooper from Imperial Tobacco, $3.6 million. Liv Garfield of Seven Trentwater, 2.1 million, and Veronique Lowry of Kingfisher, 2 million. So they're not even in the same league, are they? But then you've got that, that other thing, that, the argument that you come in with that these people didn't bet their own money of course, yeah, to, yeah, to build yeah, this business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're yeah. not even in the same league. No. So they might be looking at her salary and feeling bad. And then their staff might be looking at her yes. salary and feeling bad. I don't yeah. know. But as you say, you certainly can't have avoided it in the news this week. And talking of leagues, uh, of course, they are massively involved with Stoke City Football Club. Is it her husband? Her husband is a director at Stoke City. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I know her father's been in, involved with the football mm. club for many years. And the stadium is called the Bet365 Stadium, yes. isn't it? <laughs> it's so, a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, a bit of a giveaway. Anyway, we can only aspire to be like Denise Coates. Now, if you're an employer providing social parties um, and gifts for your employees this Christmas, then you have certain national insurance and reporting obligations. You can find all this information on the HMRC website. I'll just give you a quick overview now and we'll put the link on our blog on our website, which is the business.community. So what you need to report and pay depends on if it's an annual event if it's open to all of your employees, if it costs more than £150 per head, how many events you provide during the tax year and whether the employee is a director and how much they earn. You might not have to report anything to HMRC or pay tax and national insurance, but to be exempt, the party or similar social function must be all of the following. £150 or less per head, annual, such as a Christmas party, and open to all of your employees. If your business has more than one location, an annual event that's open to all of your staff based at one location still counts as exempt. And you can also put on separate parties for different departments as long as all of your employees can attend one of them. You may have to report how social functions and parties are worth um, separately as part of a salary sacrifice arrangement. And if you have one of those, I suggest you get some specialist advice. So if you're interested in more details on this, there are two particular links. One has got a technical manual, which is for the ones who are more prepared to delve in. And one is just an overview. And they're both on the .gov.uk expenses and benefits social functions and parties website. 
Heather, what have you got? Well, I've got a piece of news, just some, an article that caught my eye. Um, I, I live in Oswestry and I'm uh, involved with Oswestry Bid, Oswestry Business Improvement District. And I saw an article that appeared in the Shropshire Star on the 24th. Oswestry Town Centre could be rejected could be regenerated with cash from a government fund. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I had a little look. And business guru Sir John Timpson has been asked to look at Britain's high streets um, and has and that has led to the setting up of a fund to support the renewal and reshaping of high streets and town centres. Uh, it's called the Government High Streets Fund. And I, I would suggest that if you are involved in the high street you might want to google that and just find out a little bit more about it i think the important message there is reshaping of high streets we've talked in the past about the fact that the high street as we used to know it is gone forever it's what it looks like going forward uh, so i just, i thought that was something that you might be interested in knowing a bit more about and then in terms of events going back to the christmas party uh, theme i saw this one and it just caught my eye and i thought it looked like like fun it on the th on thursday the 13th of december in chester between seven and eleven o'clock i ain't got no staff christmas party <laughs> i like that, that. Uh, are you the founder of a startup self-employed an independent freelancer or part of a micro business with just one employee well you deserve a party as much as anybody uh, and they're inviting you to come along for a bit of a hoolie where you of course will be networking but it's an opportunity to let your hair down uh, and I, I just thought it looked like a great idea. I did something similar a few years ago where just a bunch of us who were sole traders got together and went out and had a Christmas do. Uh, and it did make you feel it was a good way of rounding off the year. And then looking forward into January, uh, a future employment conference uh, taking place in Wrexham on our doorstep uh, and it's called autism future employment conference and it's about four employers um for for people who have autism uh hr directors clinicians anybody who is interested in finding a way into the workplace employing people uh, or, or, or generally finding out more about autism and, and the impact it has on people who are looking for work. Uh, that is taking place here at Glindor, as I say, and details of this will be on our website, along with all the other things we talk about today, which is thebusiness.community. Our review this week builds a little bit on the app that we reviewed last week, which was the Readly app. You know, Do you remember the one where you get access to just about every magazine you could possibly want to read, um, all for seven ninety nine a month, and it's open-ended and there's back issues and everything. Um, so we thought that we'd have a little look and, and think about what, what magazines we spend a lot of time looking at. And Fortune magazine is one of the magazines that very often when we're doing research for the show, um, we find ourselves reading articles from Fortune. So we thought we'd just spend a little bit of time looking at what it actually contains, not just the stuff that we're researching. And for me, um, it, it's a great magazine, but I found myself wondering what the UK equivalent was because it is a, it's very USA-centric, although it does have UK um, information in it, in fact, global information in it. Um, but I, I couldn't quite believe that somebody hadn't done a uk version now you can you can find fortune uk but it just takes you through to the 
yes. to the same Fortune website, it doesn't does, it? It does, yes, absolutely. I, I went down the same path. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a bit of a sort of rabbit hole where you, you go, oh, here we go, I'm onto something. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, you can read it on the Readly app or you can get a hard copy. And, and it basically covers anything and everything to do with business. So this month's edition has a lot in it about artificial intelligence, something that we've talked about um, a lot on this show. Uh, it also talks about, it's got a, a top 50 um, organisations that are sort of ones to watch going forward. So it's sort of having a bit of a window on the world and, and looking forward into what you might want to invest in, what you might want to know about uh, and you know what their turnover is, etc., etc. Um, of course, Amazon features on there because you know a world, a future without Amazon is like, well, it's, it, presumably it's not going to be worth living the way <laughs> things are going. Um, yeah, but the future fifty is is something that that really caught my eye. What what did you pick up, Tracy? Okay, so I'm looking at the website as you were talking, and the keener listeners may have spotted that. It started playing a video. video. Yeah, it played a little video. So just be warned, if you go on the website, it plays videos automatically without asking. But what I like about the website is, yes, I, I've often just sort of dipped in from links when I've been searching, particularly when I've been searching um, for gurus and, and leaders that we've been talking about. But if you go to the actual website, you can see all of the lists and these, these lists are 40 under 40, 100 best companies to work for, the Fortune 500, the Global 500, the most powerful women, world's 50 greatest leaders, world's most admired companies and so on. And then the articles are also split into sectors. So you've got automotive, design, energy, finance, health, international leadership. And I think if you... If you wanted to spend some time looking around there, there would be an awful lot of reading material. But I did find one very relevant article in there, and it was published on the 21st of November, and it was an article about Denise Coates, female and billionaire. That's coincidence. That isn't... Pure coincidence, yes. yeah. So I just thought, oh, that's... Um, it, it's showing that they are looking at the UK. To be fair, Denise Coates has made a name on the global, global stage platform, now yeah, yeah. because of, of this salary that she's just had. So I, I like it. Um, I'm not sure whether I would sit and read it. I've got the Readly app, as we talked about. Um, but when I've looked at the magazine, it's one of those things where there's quite a lot of text. And you, I, I've only tried to read it on my phone. So maybe if I read it on the Kindle, it might be a little bit better. But trying to zoom into the text on my phone is actually really quite difficult. I just got fed up in the end. But on the website, if you're looking particularly for something, you know, you may be searching a topic the website is great. There is so much material in there. I'm not sure I would just sit down and read it as a newspaper. Maybe I would for the print version. And that's a, a really important thing to note. They do a print version and they do the digital version. And as with these things, the pricing doesn't always make sense. So you can have a year's worth of print and digital magazines and um, with six months free, um, with 64% off, whatever it is, the deal is £29.99. Or you could have a year of digital with six months free for twenty-six ninety-nine. So, so really, why wouldn't pounds. you have, yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't you have the print as well? And I, I could say I, I sometimes prefer the print version. 
but I'm not that committed to it that I would subscribe. I, I think at the moment I just like to dip into it for the articles that I'm interested in. It does show up on an awful lot of searches that we do. The only thing I'm not very good at with digital copies, so if I've got a paper copy, if I want to, I can rip pages out, cut articles out, stick them in a file and kind of, oh, I've got a file called resources, you know, in, where, where there might just be something that when you, your little grey cells need a bit of um, motivating. And Whereas a digital copy, I'm really useless at marking pages in digital copies. And there are means to do it, but if you're not used it's to not, it, yeah, it, it doesn't come naturally no, to you. it's not you. my thing. It's not my thing. And that, which is probably why I prefer the website as well, because I'm, I'm not great at bookmarking digital magazines at all and know there's bound to be loads of different apps that can do it and if somebody wants to show us both how to do it then you're quite welcome to join us and and show us how to get techie but the website um, for me um, would be perfect because I, I can then save the links to Google Keep which is one of the apps that we reviewed months and months ago that I still love or to Pocket, which is another one that I still uh, keep on going. And that you can flick between your phone and the computer. What I found with Fortune was the, the contents it is laid out brilliantly because it gives you a little snapshot about it. There's the heading and then what it's going to be about. So you can just then go to read that article if it's of interest. Uh, and what I tend to do is if I see something there... I might read it and then I might Google it to find out what other people are saying about the same thing. So um, it's a good starting point uh, and, it's got, and the lists are, as you say, really, really, well, varied and really useful. This week, we're talking about a business leader who, once again, we had to spend a lot of time trying to find out how to pronounce their surname. This is a lady called Anne Mulcahy. Have I got that right, Heather? I think so. I'm not the best person to ask. <laughs> Anne Mulcahy. She's the ex-CEO of Xerox. And she was born in 1952 in New York. And she um, went to college, did a BA. In 1974, she's married with two children. And she's had quite an interesting rise her meteoric rise um through the ranks at zero she's the first woman ceo in xerox's history and she became their ceo in 2001 and the first female chairman in january 2002 and it's attributed to her skill in turning around what was then a deeply troubled copying and printing giant. She managed a restructuring and cutting of annual expenses, slashing 25,000 jobs, selling £2.3 billion worth of non-core assets and reducing annual expenses by £1.7 billion. And colleagues apparently praise her for achieving what is described as a minor miracle through honesty, communication and a willingness to tackle tough tasks. Now, I think it can be safely said that she has an unusual background for a CEO. Heather, did you do some research on her background? Well, uh, in terms of Xerox, she joined the organisation in 1976 as a sales rep. Uh, and then, uh, and, and she says, I, I love the fact that sales performance was black and white and you got rewarded and recognised in a very quantitative way. Uh, but then she worked her way up through the, the business. She was even head of HR at one time, but she, I don't think she ever expected to become 
top uh, notch, you know, to become. Oh, the, yeah. The, I've the got boss. a good quote, actually. Oh, go and it, it's almost as if we'd planned it. But this is a quote from Fortune magazine ah. from 2003. And she confirms, I never expected to be CEO of Xerox. I was never groomed to be CEO of Xerox. It was a total surprise to everyone, including myself. So there you go. That's that's the power of fortune for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. She did. Um, I read another quote where she she said similar, and then she said, "But I, it turns out I was more prepared than I realised because she was embedded in the organisation. She knew so much about the organisation. Um, but but you know they had they had issues with money. Um, and at one point, she even wrote to um, gentleman we were talking about last week, Warren Buffett. She put a cold call in um, and Buffett took the call and invited her to dinner in his hometown of Omaha. She flew to Nebraska, aiming to sound him out on investing in Xerox. Her chance came over dinner. When she finished her pitch, Buffett replied, you know, I never invest in technology companies. But in the end, she said that he turned out to be a great friend and a great advisor. And she's often quoted many of his pearls of wisdom um, so it wasn't a wasted effort, but he made us sit all the way through dinner, <laughs> knowing he was never going to Just to, to handle that news yes, right at the end. Yes. Now, according to her colleagues, that a lot of her credibility was that she was willing to work side by side with her subordinates. And that enabled her to, to actually galvanise what were at the time quite dispirited Xerox workers. And she's uh, quoted as having visited... Um, various Xerox locations over her time um, at Xerox, blogging up in excess of 100,000 miles, just travelling to the different sites. She wanted to talk to staff, didn't she? She wanted to really get... Yeah, yeah. she had held the town hall-style meetings and actually addressing the issues. Now, apparently, her style is described as both compassionate and tough, and she'll tell you the good, the bad and the ugly, one of her colleagues is quoted as saying. Again, in Fortune magazine... It's just almost as if we, we've been reading Fortune yeah. magazine recently. Yes, imagine that. <laughs> and that's not actually what I found an article uh, from 2005, um, which is titled The Cow in the Ditch. I how, like that title. Yeah, and it caught my eye. How Al Mulcahy rescued Xerox. And uh, it talks a lot about all of the various things that she did. But the reason that it's called um, The Cow in the Ditch is she said that she got some advice uh, from a Texas customer. He told her that she was like the farmer whose cow was stuck in the ditch. And she said, oh, really? You know, what do you mean? And he said the farmer had to get the cow out of the ditch. So in order to do that, he had to understand how the cow got in the ditch and then make changes so that it never got stuck there again. And she said, every day I think about that advice and our journey and about where we are. She said, do we really understand where we are, how we got there and how not to make the same mistakes in the future? And I just thought she's obviously applied that to Xerox because they turned one of the sharpest corners ever, I think. Now, she was made such a mark with Xerox that she was um, the choice of Chief Executive magazine as uh, the Chief Executive of the Year in 2008. She appears on numerous lists. We've been talking about lists, so I won't mention yeah. Fortune again, but she, her name does pop up there. But I was interested to know what she's been involved in since leaving Xerox. She made such a big name for herself, having worked through 
the ranks and, and built a lot of credibility. And she's actually got what appears to be a portfolio career of, of directorships now. So I, I had a look at the Bloomberg website and they've got a list of her board memberships um, and she's a, currently a director for Citigroup Finance Canada, ULC, Graham Holdings Company, WP Company LLC, Johnson & Johnson, LPL Financial LLC, LPL Financial Holdings Inc. and Williams Sonoma Inc. So she's she's not retired. She's still quite busy. But as we found with a few of the business leaders that we've looked at that have moved on, that they've actually got to build these portfolio careers, being a member of lots of different um, large company boards. Well, I want because how do you go from being so entrenched and you know and playing such an important part in a business to perhaps just going and playing golf or you know arranging flowers or whatever is your thing you know yeah I mean I just I think it'd be interesting to know um whether um it was a decision that she made before or after she left Xerox maybe she thought when when she left Xerox that's it yeah I'm gonna go and play golf and arrange flowers and And drive a horse yeah write a book or something and whether she got bored or whether she always had it planned that she was going to have this portfolio career Mm, don't know don't know and then we always have a quote We've already quoted a few things, actually. But those aside, I've got one for you, which I really like. When you have the window of opportunity called a crisis, move as quickly as you can, get as much done as you can. There's a momentum for change that's very compelling. Mm, Very good. I've got one that I absolutely agree with 110%. Employees who believe that management is concerned about them as a whole person, not just as an employee, are more productive, more satisfied, more fulfilled. Satisfied employees mean satisfied customers, which leads to profitability. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.